And we're back for episode seven, uh, Top Waffler. Um, last week's episode was pretty pretty good, went down pretty well as well, obviously with Bilal on as a special guest. And there will be some more coming out like that very soon. Unfortunately, this week, no, no special guest. But for next week's episode, hopefully, we'll be having two guests on and two funny-ass motherfuckers. So hopefully that'll go down well. And um, can't wait to record that later on this week. But for now, we're going to dive into stuff that happened this past week in the world of sports. So the rundown for this week's episode, um, probably start off talking about the Premier League and what happened. A lot of stuff happened and it wasn't really good stuff either. It was some pretty, pretty shit stuff that went down. And um, after that, we'll segue into the NBA Finals, talking about last night's game, Game 3. And um, we'll finish off because it's a big week in the NHL. So um, maybe a bit of a lengthy lengthy talk about the Flames and um, what they should do with the draft coming up tomorrow and free agency coming up on Friday. So that's the rundown for you guys so you know uh, what's going to be said and when it's going to be said. So if there's a specific topic or a specific sport you actually enjoy listening to, then go ahead and skip to that part. Otherwise, just just um, listen listen through it all. And yeah, so um, this week, crazy results, man. So the least craziest of them all was City and Leeds drawing 1-1. That's City now only picking up a one win from their first three games after losing last week 5-2. I thought they were just going to come out and, and annihilate Leeds, similar to what happened last season with them was when they lost, uh, was it 3-2 to Norwich away? And then the next week they came out and beat Watford 8-0 at home. And I thought it'd be a similar thing. You know, they kind of get embarrassed 5-2 at home by Le- uh, to Leicester. And uh, I thought, you know, they'd, uh, they're a good team. They'll come back and they'll they'll just demolish who they're up against next. And... It didn't really go down like that. Leeds, I didn't catch too much of the game. I caught about the ending after Leeds scored the tying goal. And Leeds had some chances to put them away and could have won. And I don't know if the City had too many chances in the first half. I know KDB hit the hit the post or a crossbar, but that's pretty pretty um, wild to think about. Through From not a possible nine points, they've only picked up four. They've dropped five points with one win and one draw, obviously, and then the loss. And... Um, I, I, my preseason predictions aren't looking too good now. I had City and Liverpool on a on a pedestal and a level of their own, and right now both teams are coming off pretty shocking results. And um, before we get into Liverpool's result, or yeah, we'll get into Liverpool's result first. It'll it'll make it easier to transition after seven two to Aston Villa. That's insane, man. And Villa Villa with Everton, the only un the only two undefeated teams left in the Premier League this season. And holy shit, man, like <laughs> just before that, United had lost 6-1 and I was just like, fuck, like, okay, now it's time to bear down and just go to work on something else, you know, go go get my mind distracted. So I'm not thinking the whole day about United's result. And then I see the the, the notifications constantly and um, of Liverpool just losing, <laughs> losing 4-1 at halftime as well. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> this is pretty good. This is a... It's a good thing to laugh about after the way we got embarrassed earlier in the day. And, um, yeah, like, that's a 7-2. I, I just – I don't know. I, like, obviously, a lot of deflections. Um, Adrienne had the the error in the first goal, too. 
And then a lot of deflections. I think three other goals were deflected. The Ross Barkley one was um, John McGinn's goal. Um, one of Jack Grealish's attempts were deflected, I think. So lots of deflections. Um, but Villa played well. and I mean, you have to play well to win 7-2. So that was, that was crazy, man. Like, did not expect that at all. Like, these guys did not lose a game in the Premier League until Watford in February. And then now they lose their fourth game of the season, 7-2. And that's that's a massive result, like a massive loss. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. This, this season's weird so far. Everton's undefeated. And right coming out of the international break, I'm, I'm like 99% sure it's the Merseyside Derby with um, Everton and Liverpool next weekend. So that should be good. <laughs> like, that should be good. Everton's undefeated and they're looking pretty decent. And the defending champions, Liverpool, coming off a, a 7-2 ass-kicking at the hands of Aston Villa. Um, yeah, that should, that should be good, man. That's, um, that'll be a good game to watch for sure. And uh, now, I guess, yeah, the other, the other ass-kicking of the weekend. We had to endure it. United getting just, I don't know, man. Like, I was... I've, was trying to think of ways to describe what happened yesterday in preparation for like recording right now and I'm still at a loss for words at just like how that happened like what happened to um obviously like you get the first minute penalty and you put it away and then going down off of a it wasn't a, was it a throw in I don't think it was a throw in no, I don't remember I think it was actually a anyways it was it was a mistimed header from McGuire then he tried to he had it back to De Gea, but he, he did that horribly wrong as well. And then Luke Shaw is about to clear the ball. Like, he's he's jostling for position with Eric Lamella, and he's about to clear the ball. And Maguire is pulling him back too. And, and it's just like, what the hell, man? It was just a comedy of errors. And, um, like, Luke Shaw thought he got fouled by Lamella. And then he realized it was Maguire that pulled him down. And then Maguire's deflection actually, like, block on the shot took it away from De Gea I'm not saying De Gea would have saved it but it was closer to De Gea and then the deflection took it to the other side and then uh the other goal was just another like you know just a er- simple error that shouldn't happen and you see it happen all the time when the center back fouls the, the attacking player they'll pick up the ball and they'll just throw it back to prevent them from taking the free kick early uh, Maguire fouls Kane like just pretty much just a little bit inside the half and you know he just Kane just simply gets up puts the puts the ball down and just plays humans on through so obviously an error there on Maguire's part from not delaying the free kick errors from Bai and Luke Shaw for not coming over and covering immediately like and then chasing from behind and and yeah then it becomes 2-1 and that's after eight minutes and then you know, then a couple of chances. Marcus Rashford hit the post. Obviously, it was offside, though. Um, and, you know, United didn't look too all that bad, but they did deserve to be down 2-1 at that point. And then the whole Martial-Lamella incident where Lamella, like, elbows Martial's, like, I don't know, his jaw, his chin, his jaw area. He gets an elbow up there, and Martial literally just, like, a little slap. Like, not even a slap, man. It's like a tap. And then the way... The way Lamella like fabricates it and just the theatricals, man. He just um, grabs his chin and then slowly goes down like oh, like 
Oh God, that's the, the annoying part of this is just like all the embellishment that comes with um, comes with sports, and in this case, in soccer, it's just like, dude, that's like a little tap. Like I know you're doing that shit, but that's just embarrassing. As a man, you should be embarrassed of yourself for doing that. As as a as an athlete, as a well paid athlete that people look up to, you should you should be embarrassed of yourself. And um, yeah, like I mean, but when you you raise your hand to touch the face of the of an opponent in a in a violent manner regardless of what happens you're setting yourself up for a red card so martial gets sent off and I, lamella should have been too i don't know what var was looking at like he initiated the contact and then he pulls that that stupid stunt and um yeah like that just that was in the tipping point and then things just went from bad to worse and it was 4-1 before halftime and then they score another two goals in the second half and it's 6-1 and I don't know man I, I like Oli's got to take some of the blame as well obviously when the, when your your team loses 6-1 the manager is not scot-free the players aren't scot-free either um yeah I I just I don't know and it's a uh, it's going to be so hard now because coming out of international break next weekend, Newcastle away where we lost last year, one nil because of, I think it was Maddie Longstaff's goal. And then following that, so that's on the Saturday after international break next Saturday, October the 10th, no, not 10th, sorry, 17th. And then after that midweek European fixture start, you have PSG away, Paris away, and that's going to be a tough game. Then the next weekend on the 24th, again, you got Chelsea at home in the Premier League. That's going to be a tough game. Then midweek again, you got RB Leipzig, Champions League semi-finalists coming to Old Trafford on the Tuesday on October the uh, 27th. And then you have that same weekend, then Sunday, November 1st, you have Arsenal at home. And then to stretch it even further, the next weekend, you have Everton away and Everton are top of the league right now. So that's a run of, I think that's seven fixtures, seven or six fixtures. Yeah, six fixtures. And the next six fixtures, those are going to be hard, man. Like, obviously, with the way they're playing, like, you could say Newcastle isn't going to be hard. But with the way United's playing, it is going to be really hard because you've lost 6-1 and 3-1 at home. You arguably should have lost to Brighton away as well. If it, and it was, like, I think five posts. You steal the win because of um, the Mope handball and just the, the, the realistically, this team should have zero points from nine right now. They're very lucky to be sitting at three points. Um, and real, like realistically, so there's four out of the six fixtures I listed, four of them are Premier League games, right? Already three Prem games have been played. It's very possible that after seven Premier League games, United are only sitting on six points. And that's assuming they can beat Newcastle. Or that's assuming they can beat one of Newcastle, Chelsea, Arsenal, or Everton. And quite frank, quite frankly, you can make the case that all four of those teams look better than United right now. And you wouldn't get much of an argument back. Um, so, like, this is going to be very difficult and very hard and the transfer window is not helped at all like the transfer window closed uh, either closes in like 10 minutes or so or has already closed while I'm recording this but as of now as of this moment the transfers 
for United. We brought in Donny van der Beek, who's brought in earlier on in the window. Um, we brought in Alex Teas today, left back from Porto. Edinson Cavani has signed as a free agent and brought in two youngsters, Ahmad Diallo from Atalanta, but he's not joining until January. And Fasundo Palistri, he's a South American 18-year-old that should be joining the first team after the international break. And um, that's, it's not a good window. Like it's not a, it's not the worst window, but it's also not a good window. It's just a panic buy in Cavani because you're not getting any other attackers. You haven't addressed really any needs. Or like Ole said that he wanted, like the, the whole talk of the summer was another center back, a left back and a right winger. And instead what we've got is just the left back out of those three. Like Van de Beek's a good signing. Do not get me wrong there. I'm not complaining about Donny Van de Beek at all. We needed the central meal, central meal, central midfield depth. And he provides that in my opinion, he should be starting. Um, Pogba's had some pretty bad games. Bruno's had some pretty bad games, but I don't think you can play Donny with the both of them. He would have to come in for one of them. And over the past two weekends, I wouldn't have been opposed for him starting over Paul Pogba. But yeah, that's a, that's a completely different other case. Um, uh, Alex Teas, luckily, we got the got the transfer pulled through. I mean, he's not the best defensively, but he provides a different dimension going forward that neither Luke Shaw or Juan Bissaka, our current fullbacks, provided. So, you know, there's hope of increased um, activity from the fullbacks and overlapping, getting crosses into the box and just joining the attacking movement. So that's a good signing. And, you know, he's 27 years old, so he's not or 28, 27 or 28, but he's not young, but he's also not old either. Like he's just in that prime area. And because his contract was expiring, got him for, I think, 13.5 million pounds plus add-ons. So not bad. They're a pretty good deal. Um, Edinson Cavani, there's two, like I've seen two different ways to go about this. And I don't agree with either of them. People like the signing a lot or people are completely shitting on the signing. And, it's not a bad signing. Like when you consider right now, the backup striker really like if you, cause obviously Greenwood and Rashford can both play up the middle, but they're starting as wingers. So the only one that's not starting, that's our backup right now is Odia Nagalo, who's on loan from, from Shanghai until January. And when you consider Cavani instead of Igalo, that's a big upgrade. And obviously, Cavani is not going to solve our issues of our, our lack of a right wing. Instead, what it does is it prevents Mason Greenwood from getting the opportunity to play down the middle because there's another pl- player that'll play down the middle ahead of him. And I mean, because of Martial's red card, there's a high chance he starts um, next Saturday against Newcastle. So, like, it's a, it's a, it's an okay signing. I'm not going to say it's a great signing. I'm not going to say it's a bad signing. It could have been a great signing had you actually acquired your right-wing target of Jaden Sancho. And I know, like, they made a late push for uh, Dembele from Barcelona, too. And I don't know, man. That guy's legs are just fragile. He's, like, he's, got, he's had some injury troubles. And the loan move, if it was a loan move for him, I wouldn't have minded. But, like, buying him, I'm kind of glad we didn't. But also, like, I can't say that because he is an all-world talented player. Like, when he's on and he's talented, he's really good. But yeah, the the point being here, Cavani would have been a, a 
not, I don't want to say great, but he would have been a very good signing if proper reinforcements were brought in for the right wing position. But unfortunately, they're not, and it makes just it makes this just look more of a, more like a, a panic buy, and that's the annoying thing about this because then the other two signings, obviously eighteen year olds, and they're both I think right wingers. Like I, I want to think I want to say they are. Not a hundred percent sure on that, but um, like there's gonna be a lot of pressure on them when they're thrown into the squad, and I don't know, just like four purchases on deadline day, kind of, kind of seems a bit too much, like too much of a panic in a sense that okay, we're not getting Jaden Sancho, so let's get these guys. Uh, like it was told from the start, right? What Borussia Dortmund said, Jaden Sancho, if you want to pay the one hundred twenty mil, and Clearly, United did not. So, like, even with those people that are saying, like, the loan for Dembele would have just been so that they could target Sancho next summer. The same thing's going to happen next summer, right? And the price is going to go even up because the, cha- the chances are, well, by next summer's transfer window, will be out of the COVID um, economy. Like, I'm not saying COVID won't be here, but, like, the economy will have been doing better because by then there'll probably be, like, a vaccine or something, right? And because of that, prices will just be inflated higher. And, like... That just makes it really annoying that we weren't able to get the deal through the summer because next summer too, right? Like I'm, I don't remember where I read it, but like Liverpool might be able to make a move for Jaden Sancho. Um, if Messi decides to leave Barcelona, like Jaden Sancho is a guy Barcelona can look at. So many other, there's going to be so many other options and you're banking on the fact that because he said yes to join United this year, that he would join again next year. And I mean, after seeing the way we've been playing so far, who the hell would want to join this year? Like who the hell would want to join this team going forward? It's clear that there's a big disconnect between the the board and the manager. What the manager wanted, he didn't get upsides from one player in Alex Teus. And it's just like, what you're kind of just there. Like, what can you do? Um, I don't know, man. Like that loss was just like, it's just like they pulled your pants down. They spanked you. They spanked you in your own backyard. They kicked your ass. And that leads to a bit of a sour mood about this all. Cause like, I mean, if yesterday was a win and I'm talking about these signings, I'm obviously a bit more optimistic, but yesterday was a shellacking, an embarrassing loss. And you look at the, the upcoming fixture list and you look at the squad as it is, the pieces that have been added in the squad depth and there's not many reasons to be optimistic here. And it's going to be very, very difficult, a very difficult season. And with the way they're playing tops, top four, you can, you can throw it out the window. They're not going to get top four. That's champions league football gone top six. Like with the way Everton has been playing, that's a, that's a competitor there. Tottenham has been really good too. Tottenham's only loss has been to, to Everton in the first game of the season. And then obviously last week uh, or, or not last week, yeah, last week, but like two two match weekends ago, you'll get what I'm saying. When they drew with Newcastle off the 97th minute penalty for like that weird handball, that was that was fairly unlucky. And like, I'm not gonna say Gareth Bale is gonna be like a superstar like he was, but that's gonna be a big addition for them. And um, they're they're looking dangerous. And obviously, like even though Liverpool just lost, Liverpool and Man City still have strong squads and strong 11s. Right and Chelsea, Chelsea and Arsenal as well. They added uh, Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid, and Chelsea have made lots of signings. And once they start clicking, 
with the introduction of Everton in there, and then you you include teams like Leicester who are playing really well. God knows how long Aston Villa can keep playing like this, but I don't think they're a contender for top six. But they're if they keep playing like this, like you never know, man. Stranger things have happened. Um, the Wolves surely will pick up their game, and that's another team you got to contend with. And it becomes it's it becomes high like increasingly unlikely unlikely that you'll then be looking at a top six. So unless unless things can change steam and pick up here early, and I'm talking like right out of the international break next weekend, if thing because if you continue dropping points, you can kiss even the Europa League goodbye, and then you're looking at like another David Moyes 2013-14 season where you finish seventh, but this time potentially even lower and leading to no European football at all, which will obviously disappoint shareholders and stakeholders and the kit sponsors and the fans. Importantly, that's the main thing here because it's fucking annoying, man. This, this team just doesn't get it. Like there was like false optimism, false hope provided with that run. But then like from like February when Bruno came until the end of the season when it was undefeated, but towards the end too, you could just see them them fading. They weren't playing as well as they were. And that's the thing then, right? So then it becomes a question of, is that just a hot run? Like, cause every team has that peaks and valleys, right? In every sport you have absolute belters or, and like where you're just hot as hell. And then you regress to the mean and you're kind of back to the norm. So Obviously, they're not as bad as they displayed yesterday, but they're they're you could say they're not as good as they were in that period as well. That's just simply a, a good run of form, and you know maybe once they regress to the mean, they'll be back to who they are, which is like barely a top six side, and that's the annoying factor. This is a, a club with the prestige of Manchester United, uh, and the the name, the name, the recognition, just. I I don't know, man. I don't know how you fix this. Um, Obviously, the transfer window is not working to fix this. Continuously buying players through panic buys. And I don't know, maybe I'll be proven wrong with this, right? Like, I actually don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe Cavani will be an absolutely amazing signing. Maybe um, one of those two young right wingers will really pan out to be like a great, great, great player, right? And I'll look at myself and I'll be like, damn, you're stupid as hell, man, for saying that. But as of right now, I'm not instilled in any confidence at all about this team, about this club. Um, I don't think uh, the Champions League is looking good. They have a tough group with Leipzig and uh, PSG and then the Istanbul, whatever it is, Istanbul, Bakashir, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, that's another point. We'll do Champions League predictions probably before the Champions League starts that week on the 20th, uh, like the week of the 20th or whatever it is. Um, We'll just be predicting the top two teams, I think, will go out into the knockout stages. But, yeah, as of right now, I don't think United will be there. And, yeah, like the top run of form, coming, top run of fixtures coming up in the Prem as well. Uh, I don't know, man. By, uh, by November the 1st, like, we could just be looking at an, at an absolute shit show. Like, it could just be horrible. I mean, it's good for, for like, neutral fans, right? Because... Obviously, United's one of the teams you want to meme and make fun of, and um, you're getting that opportunity because this team's a joke right now, man. And it starts from the board. Ed Woodward is a joke. Matt Judge is a joke. The Glazers are a joke. 
And, like, I was only in, but, like, after watching the way the teams played the first three games of the Premier League season, it's up to the manager to put in a game plan, and it's clear it's been wrong. And then it's also on the players to execute and show that they're willing to be there for the game. So it's just a lot of stuff is wrong with this club right now, and it sucks. It sucks to watch. And um, I, like, normally, you know, like with the Flames, I can always give – things I would do or not, not reasons for opti- optimism because there's never many of those with the Calgary Flames, but I, I would always give moves I would think of doing, but like with United, I just, I can't, I simply can't like my, the moves were like sign Sancho, sign like Upamecano, but it's clear things like that aren't happening. You can't. And part of it's too, because they keep extending players, useless players, deadwood players to Terrible contracts that when they then try to offload, nobody wants. Marcus Rojo, Phil Jones, barely got Andres Pereira out on loan. Jesse Lingard's still here. And, like, I don't know, man. Barely, like, it's so it sucks. It's just I'm at a loss for ideas of what to do because, like, obviously all you can suggest is buying players and selling players. You can suggest starting lineups, but when you don't have the proper, proper – um uh, tool of players for a lineup like players with the proper skill sets to play in the positions you want them to you're not going to have the, the desired lineup and the thing like right now there's no natural right winger there's no out and out player who is a right winger by like by merit they're playing there because they can play there but that's not their position Mason Greenwood starting right winger his natural position is a center forward Dan James who's been the backup right winger He's a left, like a left-sided player primarily. And then obviously Rashford can play on the right side, but again, he's a, he's a central player that has been shifted out to the left side. Cavani can play in on the right wing, but again, he's a central player. Juan Mata has been played right wing in the cup games. He's a central attacking mid. He doesn't have the pace to play on the wings. Jesse Lingard, same thing. Like Lingard, he'll put in a shift of energy of an energetic performance, but he's not necessarily as skilled as you'd like a player to be in that position. So, I mean, there's a week and a half now until the next Premier League game, week and a half before this team conforms together again. And I just, I'm not sure of how it's going to go. And I'm very scared because I think it'll be like I don't with the way the current form is and everything. I think after seven Premier League games, you'll look at them with maybe six, maybe seven, maybe eight points, and it'll be another one of those terrible starts that then requires you to go on an absolute tear later on to try and get European football, and then you sell a false dream, a false hope to your fans, to everybody, and kind of rinse and repeat. So. I mean, yeah, like, we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously, seeing Liverpool get humiliated right after kind of ease the pain of the loss, but it still doesn't take away that that was an absolutely embarrassing loss and everybody involved with the club should be ashamed after that one for for their performances and their their roles and what went down. So, I mean, now we'll shift over to a slightly more positive tone. The NBA final, so it's 2-1 Lakers right now. Obviously, uh, they took a 2-0 lead. Um, Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic both 
did not play in game two and both did not play in game three. But game three, man, Jimmy Butler took over. He was just, he was a man on a mission. Played 44 minutes, a 40-point triple-double without attempting a single three. That's practically unheard of in today's NBA. It's a a massive just three-point, like a weighted game. Lots of three-pointers get taken. And to see a guy get a 40-point triple-double without attempting a three, like obviously the assists and rebounds have nothing to do with the three stat, but to drop 40 points without attempting a three is pretty crazy. You got to the free throw line a lot, which is something he has to do. If Miami stands any chance of winning games in this series, he has to be aggressive and he has to, he has to force himself to the line and, and just get uh, Lakers players in foul trouble. Davis was in foul trouble in the first half. Uh, got his fourth early in the third as well. He didn't have that great of a game. LeBron had a pretty decent game, though, for the Lakers. Um, yeah, uh, so going for game four tomorrow, Bam is maybe, I think if they upgraded him from, was it questionable to doubtful or doubtful to questionable? Like, whichever one is the higher chance of him playing, he was upgraded to that status, whereas Dragic remained at the status that he's been out since games two. And I don't think his uh I don't think he'll be back this series. But I could be wrong. He could be back tomorrow. We'll see. Um but yeah, like I, I had originally said LA in six and that was assuming a healthy Miami squad. After game two I was talking to people and I said LA in four because that's what it looked like. And now I don't know man. I'm not gonna keep like changing my prediction. We'll stick with just seeing what happens and um, if, but if Miami's going to win, they're going to need that Jimmy Butler repetitively over and over again for every single play. And that's going to be a lot to ask, but if if there's one person asked to do it, it's Jimmy Butler. This guy's a competitor. He's tough. He's like, he's just, he's, he's a baller, man. And that's uh he's, he's got to go to work the next uh, game and however long the series is going to go on to give Miami any chance of winning, he has to go to work. And maybe, like, with a healthy BAM, or not a healthy BAM, but, like, a playable BAM, it'll take a little bit of the um, the pressure, the tension off Butler, and hopefully it helps. Obviously, BAM out of bio is a huge part of their, of their offense. And, yeah, that was um, – it sucks that he's been injured and not been able to play the past couple of games, but – Hopefully he's back for tomorrow's game and it just makes it fun to watch because yesterday's game was just really fun to watch from a neutral perspective. Games one and two weren't as fun to watch. You know, these finals, it was looking like these finals are going to be like the 2017-2018 the finals where it was just like, okay, the Warriors are just going to wipe the floor with the Cobbs. And it was just looking like, okay, the Lakers are just going to wipe the floor with the Heat. But Jimmy Butler provided us with a moment of magic yesterday. And hopefully he can do the same going forward to make these games competitive and fun to watch. Um, or the Lakers can just do what they've done this entire playoff run, which is they lose one game, then they come back and they win the rest and they win the series four games to one. So, um, yeah, that was that was game four. No, sorry, that was game three of the NBA Finals. And, yeah, the, uh, the Tyler Hero snarl. Dude, you cannot be doing that when you look like that. You look like a baby face assassin and, and you're just doing like 
the memes from that are just so funny, man. Like I get I get what he was trying to do, but he's just he is just not like executing it. <laughs> Um, especially because he's six for eighteen from the field, dude. Oh my guy, you're shooting thirty three percent, and you're snarling like that. And like, uh, the uh, like Lakers fans on Twitter are so funny with it because um after was it in round one, Dame was doing the uh, not to shuffle, but Dame was getting kind of like you know uh, grooving around a bit. He was dancing at one point, and then they used that in the montage, and they put in a clip from the Houston series and they put in Jamal Murray shimmying after making a three-pointer. And the whole purpose of that was don't celebrate too early against the Lakers because you lose in five. And now they're using the Tyler Hero snarl in that same format. And like, it's just so funny because this guy is like the youngest player, like in the series. He's just, he has a baby face. He has no facial hair. He still looks like a teenager, even though I think he's 20. Um, and yeah, just him trying to mean mug with that snarl is just, is just fucking hilarious, man. But um, hey, man, he's a baller, and uh, he's hitting it out of the park with his girlfriend too. So good, good on him. He can snarl all he wants when he's hitting that, uh, hitting those shots and hitting and hitting above his above his level with that girl. But uh, yeah, so we'll switch over now, and this will be mostly about the flames. I don't know how long we're gonna go about this. Um, try and go a bit in depth about what's going to happen. So, pretty sure the rest of this podcast is just going to be just going to be about the flames. My bad for that little error and forgetting how to speak. So, yeah, let's get into this. We have the draft coming up tomorrow, a virtual draft, which should be pretty funny to watch. Um, I wonder how many like technical errors and glitches they're going to have in there. That should be pretty jokes. Um, Oh, yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to watch all of it, though. I have a prior commitment, so I'm going to be trying my best to keep up with what happens, and hopefully I'll be able to see the Flames pick before I got to go away and do other things. But if not, I'll, I'll keep tabs on it. So right now, we're slated to pick at number 19. And from what I know and what I've heard, the obviously the top three in this draft are a different breed in Lafreniere. Uh, Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzel, Stutzel, um, the that guy. <laughs> um, I think he's German. Yeah, I think he's German. Um, but yeah, those three are like kind of a different breed. They're like the elite, high, high level type of players that you would expect to a top three to be. After that, it kind of comes down a bit. But from what I've been reading, it's a very deep draft. Um, and around pick 19 there should be some some decent players like potential targets i don't think the i don't think this guy will fall this far down but seth jarvis a center i think he's five nine from place for the portland Winterhawks. connor zary another center i don't think he'll fall to 19 but if he does i feel like you should take him dylan holloway he's a calgary kid or from bray creek he's playing u.s in the u.s for i want to say wisconsin not 100% sure on that one, though, but he's playing college hockey in the States. And he's a big body center. Uh, I think he can play wing as well. He's a bit older. His production wasn't the greatest, but you never know with these college guys. You can either hit it out of the park with them because normally in their rookie season, because I think it was, it was, I'm pretty sure it was his rookie season in college. And normally in their rookie season, they're down in the lineups. So you can, you see a, a shoot up in production and like a boost in production. Um, as they get into their senior years of college because they're being trusted more by their coaches. 
So that's a name to look out for. And obviously him being a local boy would just add to it a little bit. Another player that could potentially be available is Hendricks Lapierre. And I really hope he is because I would, I would swing on the, for the fences with this guy because he was projected to be a top five pick, I think a year, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. And he's had a lot of concussion problems. So a lot of injuries that have lowered his stock, but apparently um, they got him seen by a specialist and he had the same thing that Crosby had, which is like a problem with like the back somewhere or something like, but I don't know, like, I don't want to speculate too much on it because I don't actually remember exactly what it was, but it was like, they've identified the problem. And since then the headaches and the concussions, concussion symptoms, post-concussion symptoms have decreased and or gone away completely. And he's had a solid start to this season as well. I'm pretty sure he's above point a game because the, the QMJHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, started up already. So you never know, man. There's a that's a guy to look out for. He's he's got the skill. The question with him is health, and that could be a major reason as to why he falls down in the draft. And if he's there at 19, I I, I really hope we we take him because. I feel like those are the guys that you hit on in the draft, the ones that you swing for the fences on. Obviously, unless your name is Mark Jankowski. Because, um, yeah, oh, fuck fuck that draft, man. That draft was so stupid. But that's like that's a completely different thing because you're swinging out of the fences there for a guy that was ranked, I think it was 42nd, and you picked him 21. Whereas this is a guy that's ranked in the top 20, and if he falls to you in 19 – it's a swing for the fences because of his potential, and but not a reach. You're not you, he's not a guy that's projected like late 30s, high 40s, and you're taking him in 19th. This is a guy at one point was projected to be a top five pick, and he's his current projections still have not fallen out of the first round either. So I think if Hendricks Lapierre is there, I really hope we take him. Uh, other options are some defenders: Caden Gooley, Braden Schneider, Justin Barron, who uh, Craig Button from TSN had us taken in his mock draft. He's another guy that was projected to be a top ten pick, but um, he's fallen off a bit this year. But it's weird because Craig Button has us taking Justin Barron at nineteenth in his mock draft, but in his actual player rankings, Justin Barron's not ranked to like thirty five or something. That's a weird one there. And in that same player ranking, he has Anton Lundell, who's in most mock drafts, like a consensus top 10, top 15 draft pick, he has him ranked 19th. And I'm, oh my God, man, if Anton Lindell would fall to us at 19, I would say you run to the podium and grab him, but it's a virtual draft. So uh, you just run to your Zoom call, unmute your mic, put your camera on and and you call his name and you give him one of the beautiful jerseys we unveiled today. So happy we're back to the retros, man. The retro and the Heritage Classic, the Heritage Classic jersey, the white the white retro absolute beautiful jersey man has to be the best jersey in the league in my opinion i'm so happy i bought that jersey last year um i can just tell they're just gonna be selling out now because they're back in stock and everybody's gonna be going after them because those jerseys are beautiful man i would prefer I, I think the away one's better than the home one but just in general they're so much better than the black sea with the fucking alberta flag and canada flag on it like i'm pretty sure everybody that watches hockey knows Calgary is in Alberta and in Canada. We didn't need the flags on the jerseys to, to indicate that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just happy we got those retros back. They're beautiful. And hopefully our draft pick on Tuesday tomorrow has them on. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a list of players there. Like Seth Jarvis, Connor Zary, Dylan Holloway, Hendrix Lapierre. Kaden Gooley, Braden Schneider, Justin Barron, a list of like eight guys right there, seven guys that 
should like one of them should be available at 19 and I'd be happy with getting getting one of them really um Anton Lundell if he fell I'd be ecstatic about there's also a possibility of trading down like because of how interchangeable picks are from like the midpoint of the first round to the end of the first round trading down to gain a few extra picks in the second round would be a good idea too to help restock the coverage I know that's like promoting quantity over quality but in this case, when the quality is so similar, I feel like you need to go for quantity as well. Just because even though a lot of our team is still young, you need to have those guys ready because um, eventually you're going to have contract issues, you're going to have money problems. You need those guys coming in that are cheap on entry-level deals so that you can fill out your roster with them. So I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. And um, our scouting program has been pretty decent recently. We've had some pretty good picks. I mean... Last year, Jacob Pelche, we didn't pick again until the third round. We got Ilya Nikolaev, the Russian guy. Um, the year before, we didn't pick till the fourth. That was pretty crazy. 2018, we got uh, Dmitry Zavrogidny, like all the way at the end of the draft. Uh, I'm pretty sure Matthias Emilio Patterson, who signed, he was a good one that we got in 2018. 2017, we had Yusuf Alamaki. Um, 2016, we hit it out of the park, I thought. We had Kachuk, we had Dubé, we had a uh what's his name tyler parsons i mean he's not exactly there yet but he still could be we drafted adam fox that year too who's a stud with the rangers now he obviously helped us in the trade last year or two years ago with carolina um you go back even further 2015 we didn't have a first we took anderson shillington we took manjapani like in recent years our draft picks have been pretty good in the mid mid and late rounds and i wouldn't I would not be opposed as to gaining a few extra picks in each of those rounds so that we could possibly, you know, just add more to the cupboards because it's just then pieces that you either become valuable to you by using them in your lineup or they become valuable to you by trading them for something that helps fill a hole in in your lineup. The other scenario that I'm kind of like a little bit iffy on, but I wouldn't be too opposed to either. I don't know if we're too interested in the guy, Yaroslav Askarov, the goalie from Russia. Everybody's saying he's a franchise goaltender akin to like Andre Vasilevsky at Tampa Bay, who just won the cup. Could we be trading up for him? Like, I don't see him getting past. I think Edmonton picks 13 or 14. I don't see him getting past Edmonton at 14. I think they'd take him. Pretty sure Carolina wouldn't mind taking him at like, I think Carolina's picking like 13 or something. So, like, I don't think he gets past there. And, you know, he could be taken as high as like five, six. So, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be, I think, the first time in a long time there's been back-to-back goalies taken in the first round. Unless, like, I'm screwing up. Because I don't remember the year Jake Ottinger was taken. But last year, Spencer Knight was taken in the first round by the Panthers. If Jake Ottinger was taken in 2018, I'm wrong. However, if he was taken in 2017, then I'm correct. So, I don't know. We'll see about that. I don't think there's been multiple goalies in the first round, though, since 2012 when it was uh Vasilevsky and Malcolm Subban that were taken but yeah anyways um wouldn't be opposed to trading up for him because I think he could be something special but there's always the risk of taking a goalie in the first round I like I prefer when uh, when team uses later round picks to hit their goalies but I mean we're Calgary we've not developed a goalie drafted and developed a goalie in a long time Dustin Wolf looks promising but um I'm not gonna act like we're like sick with doing that that I that the that we're sick with drafting and developing goalies and that you should only take them with late mid-round picks. So, um, yeah, that's for the draft tomorrow. Uh, obviously, first round's tomorrow. Rounds two through seven are on Wednesday. 
um all gonna be virtual i want to i'm like really curious as to how it's gonna be televised so um, i'm really looking forward to actually watching it tomorrow i can't wait um then the other big event of the week is free agency which opens up on october the 9th which is friday at 10 a.m mountain and um so this is the first time since i think 2012 where there's no five-day courting period meaning that free agents cannot talk to teams before free agency opens so i wouldn't expect there to be a shit ton of signings at 10 a.m i'd expect a shit ton of signings by like 10 30 after they've had like 30 minutes to talk with teams um there's obviously petriangelo taylor hall uh robin leonard's off the market now there's jacob markstrom tj brody's there tory krug um bunch of guys man bunch of guys like tyler Tafoli, mike hoffman there's options it's definitely there so like just looking at our, our lineup so we have about 17 million to work with up until the the ceiling up until the the cap and uh bradford living was on radio earlier today saying he has the green light from ownership to spend to the cap, but we don't ever get the green light to spend on coaches, but we got it on the cap, which is a good thing because lots of teams are cutting costs because obviously because of the economy, because of COVID and all that. So, um, yeah, uh, we have about 17 million. Right now, if everything was to, like, without no major trades or anything, we have for next season locked up. We got our first line of Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm. Kachuk and Backland are locked up on our second line. Our second line winger, Andrew Mangiapane, is a restricted free agent. And after last summer of him holding out and accepting his qualifying offer of the of the league minimum, pretty much, I would expect him to, to be insistent that he gets the bag this summer. And by the bag, I mean the bag for him. So, like, maybe two to three mil maybe three mil on like a short-term two three-year deal and but i would try to get him signed long term i'd I'd offer him like seven years at like three and a half four million because i think he's just going to keep getting better and i think if you could lock him down at something like that for for that long um he'd be very good value for you similar kind of like to how elias lindholm is really good value for us being locked up at 4.8 and providing like close to 30 goals and averaging 60 points in his two seasons with us so far. So that's one forward spot. Right, second line, right wing. On the third line, we have Lucic, Bennett, and Dubé, who are all locked in for next year. And then on the fourth line, so far we only have Derek Ryan, so we would need to fill out fourth line right winger, fourth line left winger, along with, if we're carrying 13 forwards, one extra forward, if we're carrying 14, two extra forwards, your, your healthy scratches. So that means right now you're looking at signing Manjapani, two fourth liners or third liners, and you put Lucic or Dubé down, or you put Lucic or Bennett down or Dubé, like you put somebody else down in the fourth line and you sign a third liner. And there's obviously also the option to promote from within players such as Glenn Godden, Matthew Phillips. I don't know if Phillips would be an option yet, but Glenn Godden certainly should be. So there's those options, but that's, you need minimum three forwards. You're looking more at between three and five forwards so you can fill out. Because if you're carrying a full roster, you need 14 forwards. So right now we got eight signed. So minimum three and, or no, sorry, we got nine signed. 
So yeah, minimum three, maximum five. So you're looking at between three to five forwards that you need to fill out with that 17 million. Um, also, so then now shifting to defensively, we got Mark Giordano, Noah Hannafin, uh, Rasmus Anderson, Yusuf Valamaki, all on, under contract and locked in, along with guys like Connor Mackey and the other guy, I think is Tucker Pullman or Colton Pullman. One of them's the guy that plays for Winnipeg. One of the other ones are our guy. So you got those two signed, and you got Oliver Shillington, who's a restricted free agent, who he should. Uh, I, I would expect him to sign back with us. I don't know if if he'd be penciled into a lineup spot, but even if you don't pencil him in, like just including Giordano. So if you include Giordano, Hannafin, Anderson, Valamaki, and a you signed Oliver Shillington, you need two other defenders. You're obviously one more to play in the lineup along with your number seven, who's a scratch. That could end up being Shillington. I don't know. Hopefully TJ Brody is one that we bring back. I saw today um, we've not officially offered him a contract again. I really hope we do, man. The guy's so underrated. He's so he's so good. Um, part of the reason why Giordano played well last year and for time before that, before he was played with Dougie Hamilton, was because of TJ Brody being his partner. I feel like in the past two playoffs, Brody and Rasmus Anderson have been our best defenders. And I just feel like he gets unnecessary hate and unnecessarily shot on for his performances. And um, I truly think, like, if we don't bring him back, we're going to, whenever whenever it is that we start playing again, we're going to truly recognize how much we needed him and how much we're going to miss him. And uh, I really hope we sign him back. Man. He's definitely one of my favorite flames of all time. Uh, underappreciated as hell and undervalued, and he's just very good. But, um... I mean, if he gets more money from somewhere else, I wouldn't I'd never hold it against the guy for taking his money. But uh, hopefully we can – he said he likes the fit here. He also he also said last year he could have been traded to Toronto. In the, in the article, it looked like that was kind of like being sarcastic, and he's like he's happy to have his fate in his own hands this year. I would expect any deal he signs to include trade protection. I don't know about a movement clause, especially with the expansion draft coming up, but trade protection for sure. Um, our other our other free agent defenseman, I really could care less about. Like Travis Hamonic, he's a good per. Travis Hamonic is a great person. I strongly recommend watching the feature on him. I think it was an ESPN feature done or something. But uh, of what he's been through and what he does, because it opens your eyes to a lot of things. But um, he's a great person. His his hockey playing, his 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 abilities, his skill has kind of fallen off. You know, in the three years he's been here with us, he came as advertised for, I'd say, maybe half a season, the first half of 2018-19. And he kind of made it seem like somewhat worth the acquisition cost, but um, not really. He's never really lived up to that of being worth the, the first-round pick that turned into Noah Dobson, who's a really good, promising young defender with the Islanders, along with two seconds. You know, at that point, at this point, you just got to consider it a sunk cost and let him walk. I think he could go back to like Winnipeg. It's closer to his home, closer to his mother and his family. Which, obviously, if you watch the future, he's very family oriented, and they could use the right hand shot. And I like as much as I like the guy, and I respect him a lot as a person, as a player, he was a liability out there this year. And I, I hope we don't bring him back. Um. 
Gustafson. He's a power play, power play specialist, you know. I, feel, I personally feel like Oliver Shillington can play the same role if given a chance. Unfortunately, he's not been given a chance so far to do that. Um, and Gustafson was kind of like a liability on five on five. A lot of poor defensive reads, miscues by him. Not very strong in the puck in his own zone. He's great offensively. Like he could get his shot through traffic so easily. He was great power um, quarterback in the power play. But um, I feel like we have a guy who can do that for us for much cheaper in Oliver Shillington. I just hope he gets the chance to prove that if, if he stays with us and if we don't trade him. And then our other uh, UFAs were Michael Stone, who, like, you know, he's a seventh defenseman. He is what he is. Uh, I wouldn't mind bringing him back at 700K just to fill out that seventh spot and have him sit in the press box. Uh, he's, was he, I don't think he was on the payroll for the buyout, but no, he actually is. Yeah, he's still he's still on the payroll for the, for the buyout for one more year. So he's going to get paid 1.16, I think, from us. And then, you know, just add on another 700K. Sign a cheap one-year deal, not not bad. Um, Dirk Forbert's the other guy. Uh, he was like, he wasn't that great. He was, um, I don't know, he was trusted a lot in the playoffs after the restart, and um, I don't think he's. I wouldn't mind him on like a cheap, a cheap, and a, like when I say this, I mean like one, one and a half mil. Like other than that, I'm not taking him. We paid a fourth rounder for him, and we got to stop doing that, man. We trade at the deadline for depth defenders so much the past two years. Fantenberg, Gustafson, Forbert, trading a third, a fourth, a fourth. Just give Oliver Shillington the chance, man. Like, come on. Anyways, like I, I don't really want to see Forbert brought back in either. Out of all of you. All of our UFA defensemen, I'd really only like CTJ Brody brought back in. If there was some possible way we could bring in Alex Petrangelo, I'd be all over it, but that's going to cost a shit ton of money, and I don't think anything about Calgary is appealing for him to come into, and we're not actually even the right team to acquire him. Uh, a team that would be would be like Vegas or Colorado, a team that's like right there with uh, but winning the cup, and we're not there yet, so I hope we wouldn't spend that much money on him. And then that takes us to our last position. Uh, Riddick is signed for next year. We don't have anybody to partner with him. The thing with Riddick, right, he's had in 1819 and in 1920, he's had great first halves to the season, and he's kind of fallen off in the second half. This past year, I don't know if that's due to fatigue, because in 1819 he suffered an injury against uh, San Jose. I believe it was a knee injury in the New Year's Eve game. And after that, like, they didn't get surgery to fix it until the off season or I don't know if he got surgery, but like it wasn't properly recovered until he had the time to let it recover in the off season. And then I know this summer or this past season, he had an elbow problem that he got the treatment for during the COVID break. But when, I mean, when he came back, he obviously didn't play much and I, I, I don't know how he feels about it here. Like he's lost his two seasons in a row. He's been the starter for, majority of the season then he loses his job in the playoffs like before the playoffs he loses his job and job and he doesn't get an opportunity to to make an impact and play in the playoffs so I don't know how like what the plan is with him if he is for sure coming back next year I mean contractually obliged to but I mean are we going to trade him I I don't think I don't know like how it's going to go about him resigning following this upcoming season but I guess we'll see and the question is who are you who are you going to partner him up with like cam talbot worked pretty well i wouldn't mind cam talbot 
Obviously, Talbot allowed a couple of softies and had a really shit game in game six, but him and him and Riddick together, I wouldn't mind. And I wouldn't mind simply because, like, you need some familiarity there. Uh, you can't just keep changing goalies, having a goalie carousel. But at the same time, I could understand wanting to chase after Jacob Markstrom, who is a bona fide number one. I wouldn't be paying him what's the rumored price of seven times seven or whatever it was especially because he turns 31. So he either is 31 or he turns 31 very soon. Um, if you could get him to a deal that's just around the Robin Leonard market, which was five times five, you get Markstrom like 5.5 times five, something like that. I'd 100% do it because Markstrom is a bona fide number one and he would help out this team so much. Uh, I wouldn't really explore the trade market. I don't think Darcy Kemper is worth trading a first for when you can go out and just sign Jacob Markstrom for like a million more. Matt Murray's had injury problems. Marc-Andre Fleury, not really interested in there. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. The goalie the goalie thing will be interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing Cam Talbot return, but my number one target would be Jacob Markstrom if we could bring Markstrom back. Apparently Markstrom's really good friends with Elias Lindholm, and I mean, we already have lots of Swedes here in Calgary. We got Lindholm, Backlund, Anderson, Shillington, you never know, man. Maybe that's enough of a, a reason to appeal to Markstrom. But yeah, so by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday, we'll have seen the draft and if any trades have popped down. And oh, just before, yeah, before the recap, I've seen a rumor saying that before free agency, we will trade Gaudreau for the best offer. That's fucking horse shit, man. That's so stupid. Any trade with Gaudreau, you lose. His value is low because of his bad season. Right, And even in his bad season, he was still a good player for us. Like, Yeah, he wasn't putting up the points, but when he was going, we were winning games. This guy is so underappreciated and disrespected. Everybody always consistently says, oh, when his contract's up, he's going home. He's going back east. What if he actually genuinely likes it here? Like, he was in college. If he wanted to play out East, he could have simply played the fourth year and signed there as a free agent. He came here in his third year. After his third year of college, he signed with us, and he's been with us since. He'll be with us eight years after his contract runs out. And I see all the hate he gets, man, about him shying away from contact. Yeah, do I I, I, do I wish he took more contact? Of course I do. But when you were like 5'7", 155 pounds, 160 pounds or whatever, you're not going to willingly let somebody who has six inches and at least 30 pounds crush you. Like, it's common sense. And maybe if you played him with better, with different line mates, you could take that part away from him that he doesn't have to carry the puck and go into corners and the whole thing of Jeff Ward using that line as a defensive line in the playoffs and having them play dump and, cho- dump and chase was just so stupid as well. So like all the talk about trading Gaudreau, man, if you're a Calgary Flames fan and you're talking about trading Johnny Gaudreau, you're out to lunch, man. Like you don't know what you're talking about. We lose any trade with Gaudreau. The only trade you win with Gaudreau is if you package him with something like Noah Hanif and Jacob Peltier in our first round picks for the next two years to get like Jack Eichel, get a bona fide number one superstar center back. Other than that, anything... Any combination of picks and prospects for Gaudreau, you lose the deal and you might as well go into a rebuild. So that's my piece on that. If, I, if you're advocating for a Gaudreau trade out of Calgary and you're a Flames fan, you're an idiot and you should look in the mirror and slap yourself because that's just really stupid. Man. 
but yeah, uh, according to the rumors, by the time this episode goes out, we'll see if we are trading Johnny Goodrow for the best available package, which is fucking bullshit. That's not what we're doing at all. We'll see the draft by the time this episode comes out, so we'll see what the Flames have done. Um, free agency will happen the day after, and we'll recap any free agent choices made by the major free agents and the whatever free agency additions the Flames made um, in next week's episode. And next week's episode, we'll also have two guests on to talk, um, hopefully, if everything goes well. And that should be good. That should be good fun. I cannot wait for that. I'm excited, really excited for that. And I'm really excited to have them on and just talk to them about uh, about ball especially. And I don't know if that gives you a hint as to who they are, but um, uh, it should be a good one for sure. So we covered a lot of stuff today, obviously. Pain with the, the Prem and the Manchester United rant. Uh, covered a little bit of the NBA Finals and about Jimmy Butler going off and then kind of set up this week for the Flames and what I think should happen. So we'll see how it all shakes down. Obviously, next week's episode will be heavily focused on recapping what happened this week in the NHL with not much prem with no Premier League action this coming weekend. Won't be much talk about that next week. Um, obviously, we'll be recapping the NBA Finals, assuming they end this week. And if not, if they're still going into next week, we'll be talking about what you know, what's going to happen. But yeah, again, thanks for for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast top waffler podcast on instagram top waffler on spotify on apple Podcasts, on um the Podbean app just support it like it do whatever or don't whatever works for you um yeah we'll see you guys next time goodbye